Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News Team. Guess who's back this week? I thought you were going to start singing. No, no, no. Guess who's back? Back again. No. Does it feel good to be back? I actually wanted to maintain a bit the element of surprise, but I realized I already said I'm Gerardo Fortuna in the intro. So. Ah, yeah, you ruined it. That's fine. Oh, mm. the game's over. Well, still, it's very nice to have you back. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you fighting fit again on the podcast. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel better. Um, I just need to get used to my new career as a podcaster because uh, I had new this... New career? Uh, new career. What do you mean new? We've been doing this for like over a year now. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's not something that, um, you know, I, I haven't coped with uh, with fame. So oh, far. And uh, I had this throat pain last week, so I really need to preserve my voice now and probably oh, start, start covering properly my throat. Uh, basically, like start singers Start doing vocal do. cord exercises. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is something that yeah, we yeah. don't do, no, you know. Well, it's a precious commodity, your voice, you know? Yeah, 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 indeed, indeed. So, yeah, it was uh, nice to be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, I mean, um, I know the listeners missed me, but I miss them too. So, uh, And you, of course. Actually, you were you were kind of abandoned last week because uh, even Evie wasn't there, our producer. <laughs> I know. So you were it's completely a solo adventure. alone, surrounded by strangers. It's not true, of course. <laughs> No, Magdalena kindly stepped in. She really enjoyed my singing as well. She she appreciated my singing more than you just did. No, I was impressed. Uh, I mean, okay. by the singing. Fine. Let's it's it's a good thing. Come let's on. just move on from that. So not, let's, start, let's start with some news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some fresh news to comment on. Uh, we both received a follow on Twitter by the EU's Agriboss. <laughs> uh, Janusz Wojciechowski. So Finally, the, the commission is now following <laughs> us. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good news. I mean, we don't sulk or bearing a grudge, but yes, mm-hmm. now we feel a bit better. Um, it's nice for it to be reciprocated. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Come on. I mean, <laughs> you, you you remember when we had him uh, on the podcast? No, I, I expected do. some actions from from him. Um, Twitter after action. that, yeah. But no, but jokes, I'm not sure why uh, it's come today. Some random Friday. I don't. Know. Probably because I tweeted something on uh, the cap. No, yeah, but like you do like every day. <laughs> no, no, it was particularly funny. Really? I didn't say more than you. I was. Uh, they basically adopted once again the common agricultural policy. You know, and uh, oh, hilarious! I basically lost. Uh, uh, the count of how many times has been announced the adoption <laughs> of uh, of the common agricultural policy. So I basically joke on the fact that it's like uh, the the Groundhog Day, you know. Oh, anyway, sweet. yeah. yeah. Mm, but, but actually, jokes aside, that there's a real there's um some fresh news to comment on. It was the um the approval of the ANIT report mm-hmm. uh, by Anit. the ANIT committee. So we're, we're, we've moved into acronyms. Let's uh, yeah. so the ANIT, in case you, anyone doesn't know, ANIT is the uh, the Parliament's, the European Parliament's Committee of Inquiry into the Protection of Animals During Transport, which is not a very catchy name, I have to say. So You're shorten- so professional when you de-jargonize me. <laughs> you do it uh, seriously, you know. 
<laughs> you have to. There's so many acronyms in this town. What can I do? You're drowning in acronyms. Um, but it is true that Anna is 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 catchier. It's easier to say as well. So yeah, Anna committee. Um, this committee was set up back in June of 2020, I think it was, um, basically to investigate you know alleged violations of EU rules when it comes to animals in transport specifically so they've been investigating this um for the last 18 months doing lots of fact-finding missions you might have seen various um meps you know often led i think it was green green meps often lead the charge tilly Metz, people like that um going off into the eu looking at what's going on when it comes to animal transport and they put together this report um which basically outlines its conclusions and recommendations. Um, and of course, this year it's been very timely because I'm sure everyone uh, heard about this tragedy that occurred back in March. You know, when there was, you remember this, Gerardo, there was thousands of, there was, I think, just, just under 2,000 cattle that found themselves stranded on a vessel in the Mediterranean Sea for three yeah, months, yeah, yeah. which is... We also published uh, an exclusive on this. And we did, yeah. Yeah, the... Uh, basically the exchanges between the Spanish government and, mm. uh, and the African government. Yeah. yeah. So it was quite Im- impressive. Uh, it was on the front pages even of, of uh, very famous uh, and, and mainstream media, no? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it was, I mean, it was horrific. These poor animals that suffered for months. Absolutely, I can't imagine. Anyway, so yeah, so very timely kind of moment for a committee uh, like this. So um, they gathered information, citizens, NGOs, things like that. Um, And they found a number of violations, things like lack of headroom, a lack of water or food supply, um, you know, very overcrowding, things like that. So based on the foundings, uh, the foundings, the findings even, (laughs) um, they basically they approved this kind of set of draft recommendations um, this week. Um, So that includes a call on the commission and EU countries to step up their efforts with respect to animal welfare during transport and also to update EU rules on this. So I think there were a number of concrete requests so concretely the report calls for uh cctv cameras in transport vehicles which i think is a very reasonable request um things other things like temperature humidity um different devices like that in vehicles meps also advise that animals should uh, only be allowed to travel with uh, appropriate when it's an appropriate temperature um and they also suggested a ban on transporting very young animals so things like that um and a tighter control system on the transport of animals to non-EU countries was um, was something they also uh, really highlighted and, you know, trying to, as much as you can, prioritise moving meat over live animals. Um, so they're basically calling on the commission to, to urgently act on this no longer than 2023. They want an action plan to support this kind of transition to, to these recommendations, um, including a proposal on a specific fund to minimize the impacts of the changes that need to be made on the sector. Um, and I, I think there was a kind of mixed reviews about this uh, report. You know, NGOs were hoping, I think, for something stronger. They were looking for, you know, a flat out ban rather than these recommendations. Um, but it's true that it represents quite a shift in the industry and and it needs to kind of be uh, looked at, I guess, in, in a lot of... Uh, looked at in detail to see the kind of impacts and how this can, how this can change in the future. Um, so, yeah, the report and its recommendations will be submitted to the plenary, which is scheduled... Yeah. Uh, to put on its gender, I think it's January 
2022 session. So there's still time for uh, uh, other amendments, uh, which is basically the request from the NGOs. No? Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so things could still move on this. Um, and definitely we'll be coming back to revisit this in January. I remember there was uh, something similar um, happening with the um, special committee on glyphosate. Mm. Um, yeah, again, this is, uh, you know, they basically set up the special committee to release the report. So so it's the main aim of the uh, the work of these MEPs to release mm-hmm. the this final report. And there was in the end an agreement between the Greens and the European Parliament and the, sorry, the uh, Europe's People Party, um, DPP, um, on this. Uh, on glyphosate and then it was a bit um, it was criticized by the NGOs because again it was a compromise um, mm. but yeah th- there's still ground to change the text yeah, also another thing a random thing uh, when you were mentioning the CCTV uh, mm. it's uh, it's a classic of the European Parliament because even when they uh, agreed on the fisheries control system uh you know the main thing was uh installing these onboard cameras on oh, vessels right. to uh to comply with the new uh, control rules oh, yeah i remember actually yeah, yeah. So, i remember us having a conversation uh, about it. cctv on uh, on uh, you know mean of transport has become a classic of the eu lawmaking let's say um but yeah let's see let's see how this will evolve uh, and and what will be the next steps in the plenary? You mm-hmm. said that uh, it is already scheduled or not? Yeah, for January, uh, okay. a session in January 2022. So okay. actually, yeah, we're already December. So actually, like yes. <laughs> next <Yeah>. next month. <laughs> that's what next I'm saying. Month. Wow, that's insane. I can't believe we're here. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, speaking of uh, the Parliament, um, mm-hmm. actually, there was. Um, um, you, for probably the main uh, event this week, apart from the NGT's uh, conference, we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main um, institutional highlight this week was this uh, uh, Comagri uh, meeting, Comagri Committee of Agriculture. Yeah, I'm going to de jargonize you again. Careful, yeah. careful. I'm watching the, the, like, this is like CAP or, or CAP, you know, <laughs> there are two uh, families. Uh, the ones the who who says that uh, who say comagri, mm. a very old-fashioned way, and uh, others saying saying agri committee. I'm definitely the latter. I'm definitely uh, in the agri committee. Yeah. To be fair, comagri is very Mediterranean, so a lot of uh, I don't like. You still comagri. have some MEPs, uh, Italian MEPs, saying comagri. Uh, but it's true that they changed the European Parliament uh, changed this. Um, uh, you know, from communication of uh, of the name of the committees, and now they have uh, all this kind of name: Itre, Envi, Agri, uh, Peti, and so. I do on. think Comagri sounds better in your accent than mine. Though. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I always suggest to check on what's happening in the in the agriculture committee, not just because they invite us to speak before MEPs. Uh, which it happened a few weeks ago, but also casual, because um, casual plug there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also because there are some very interesting debates on what's going on, uh, and was particularly true for this uh, this week agenda. So they have uh, just to make some 
um, just to list some of the topics that they dealt with. Uh, there was um, a public hearing on economic comparison of the performance, uh, viability, competitiveness of the agriculture compared to the main compar- competitors outside the EU. So it was a very interesting uh, debate, but also they talk about NGTs, they talk about uh, um, eco-scheme too. And there was a in- very interesting um a debate, uh, an ex- it was an exchange of views with the commission uh, representative from the DG Agri, it was uh, Michael Scannell, uh, and it was on the um, on the fact that farmers are facing uh, fertilizers uh, record prices uh, in the EU. Um, this is actually one of the main agri side of the current energy uh, price crisis in, in Europe. So um, the commission recognized that in the past 18 months, uh, we've seen a worrying increase in, in, in uh, price pressures in general, eh? but particularly on input uh, prices. And this, of course, uh, affected um, the uh, farmers and, uh, and uh, particularly the fertilizer sector. Uh, there's a bit of... Um, clash at the moment between the fertilizer producer we covered this in one of our uh, brief uh recently um so there was a bit of a clash between the the fertilizer industry and the um the farmers uh, because the Basically, farmers uh, claim that the main reason why these prices of fertil- of liquid fertilizer in particular uh, are so high is because of uh, an anti-dumping uh, measure that the Commission adopted on, uh, on uh, you know, this liquid fertilizer, UIN. Uh, so basically, uh, the farmers' organization Copacogeca um, uh, is campaigning um, to to lift this uh, this ban, uh, which is uh, a call uh, supported by many of the MEPs um, who took the floor during the this debate. Uh, the Commission said that they. They currently, you know, the review of these uh, anti-dumping duties uh, are currently under is currently under uh, underway. Uh, so let's see what uh, what could happen. But the main the main um, issue here for the commission is basically the current situation with the um, with the energy price crisis because uh, Europe is. Uh, disproportionately dependent on gas and import of gas um, from Russia and and, and other and other um, and other countries and the other countries that are major exporters of fertilizer, who are putting restrictions on their own exports. You know, um, so again, it's not just to fertilizer themselves, but it's on also on ingredients uh, of fertilizers like the potash. Uh, just to make an example, there's a new ban on imports and transit of potash from Belarus, which is the world's top producer of uh, of this crop nutrient, uh, and it's because of geopolitical tensions. No, so um, MEPs uh, didn't buy uh, the explanation of the commission; they were more like, 
let's say they weren't impressed and they they still think that uh, uh, yeah it's true that energy prices are high but um so the prices of the prices of other commodities uh, and uh, basically there are some uh, factual measures that that they could uh, that the commission could uh, put in place like again this uh, um dealing with the anti-dumping uh, duties uh, but it's a very complex issue. Uh, again, we, we're going to cover this um, in the coming months. What else? Uh, there was also a debate on NGTs, the new genomic techniques, but the, the, the main news on the, on the NGTs actually come from the NGTs conference uh, organized by the commission at the beginning of the week, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, th so yeah, as you said, there was this um, high level event, as everyone likes to call them, uh, which took place on Monday. And the idea of this event was supposed to, it was supposed to provide a forum for transparent and constructive debates on how the EU can develop a regulatory framework on plants obtained by um, new genomic techniques or gene editing. So basically, this kind of follows on from, I mean, this is a long <laughs> a long long story right um if you basically check on our website and you open a random uh, actually the latest uh, the latest yeah the latest article, one go to the latest one yeah <laughs> uh, that that uh, our natasha wrote uh you can basically oh, our natasha that's nice you can basically click on the previous article and mm. you start like the you know the, the wikipedia the wikipedia game no you click you click you click and you finish at uh, i don't know some articles in 2019 where we still well, we were still talking about this um uh new genomic new genomic techniques that uh, as natasha said uh, at the time was called uh, gene editing yeah, it's had now... several rebrands hasn't it on the yeah, way yeah. but um but basically essentially the commission is currently reviewing the eu's rules on this biotechnology um there was recently a public consultation on the matter it's supposed to feed into the review um and so yeah they're in, they're in this process of reviewing the whole um situation but what was interesting in this event is that there's there's clearly some strong well, I mean, I heard a lot of voices in favor of the technology from the commission. It's not a totally new, new, maybe, maybe it's, I, I mean, we've heard um, health and food safety commissioner Sela Kiriakides several times talking about uh, the potential of the technology and, um, you know, previously she's spoken about the the kind of contribution that this technology can make to sustainable goals. But this time I thought what was interesting was that the European Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans also added his voice to this kind of growing list of those in the EU executive that's advocating for gene editing. Um, so so that was definitely an interesting kind of No, it's true. Not normally it's, uh, you know, it's well known that uh, particularly the Gisante, let's de-jargonize, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Health uh, and Food Safety Directorate General mm -hmm. of the Commission. Um, yeah, they, they, they're basically in favor of uh, gene editing. They, they always been. Uh, I they say it very I, cautiously. Yeah. They're always like, yes, there's lots of potential. We have yeah, to consider this in a I, safe I had, way. I had, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I had once an interview with the, the former uh, health commissioner, uh, uh, Andrew Gaitis, mm. he was super vocal in favor of uh, of gene editing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so, Commissioner Kiriakides is a little bit more 
But just because she doesn't, she doesn't have the same, um, uh, you know, way of exposing, in uh, exposing uh, thoughts in a in a very vocal way. Like Andrew Gattis was a very, uh, mm. how can I say, vigorous, yeah. <laughs> um, vigorous um, speaker. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I think are, are on the same page, Kiriakides and Andrew Gattis, because of course the, they 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 are at the top of the same organization, the DGSAT. So, mm. yeah, as you said, the team members was a bit, not surprising because, again, the commission was, has always been in favor. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's, it's well, the guy tasked with delivering the Green Deal. So He's also the guy that seemed very much as kind of the friend of NGOs. The friend of the NGOs, friend of NGOs. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, yeah? Would you not say? It's true, it's true. I, we 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 saw it with the cap discussion. No? Absolutely, it was, the, it was it's basically uh, the NGOs' hope, no? the mm. the Luke Skywalker of uh, of scrapping the cap. Wow, that's quite it's <laughs> quite a title that you just bestowed on him. Um, but it's true, no, it's true. But I mean, in this case, obviously, he's he's gone against. I mean, just to, just to quote what he said. I mean, because he was talking about. Basically, he's talking about the sustainability ambitions in the EU's flagship food and farming policy, so the farm to fork strategy. And he's saying that basically said NGTs will clearly be part of these actions, you know, and that the EU mm. needs to properly explore their potential in developing sustainable products. So, yeah, it was it was quite strong in his favor of this. So, yeah, definitely going against the NGOs who, of course, heavily criticized um the stance and and heavily criticized the, the event, actually. Um uh, you know, they were basically saying they were flagging or in their, that their opinion, maybe the commission has already made its mind up about the technology as it's going into the review. Um, so that, you know, their concern is that it's already a done deal, you know, that maybe we're just paying lip service to this. They, they, they're concerned that the commission's already made its mind up. Um, and they were heavily critical of this, you know, um, actually commissioner Kiriakides was asked, if this was already, you know, are you already, have you already made up your mind about this? And she said it was a, cl- a clear, loud no. Um, she says launching policy action does not mean we've taken the decision to deregulate. And she added that all options will be examined, including the possibility of maintaining the current situation. So she says that, that the decision's not already done. Um, but it's true, there's a lot of kind of positive noise coming from the commission, shall we say? It's it's a very complex um, uh, mechanism. The the issuing of a proposal, no. Yeah. Uh, I remember s- some weeks ago we we talk about the comitology, no. Uh, but there's um something that I that I call anti comitology, which is basically the uh, set of, of <laughs> procedure and bodies. Um, I'm scared to know more, to be honest, because comatology yeah. was scary enough. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. But it's it's very complex, you know. There was a, an initiative by I don't remember if it was if it was from the Barroso administration or the Juncker administration, but um, I was talking about this um, a few minutes ago with one of our colleagues, uh, Kira Taylor. Um, and yeah, basically there was this kind of impact assessment uh, procedure in which there are several bodies like this mysterious, uh, um, what was the name, uh, regulatory scrutiny board. God, you uh, were really coming out with the <laughs> with the names today. Yeah, so it's, it's like, uh, you know, they, they basically do the internal quality control mechanism because they wanted to do bet, to better regulate. 
uh, and so having having uh, all the the legislation, the proposal harmonized, and uh, and so for instance, this this uh, RBA, RSB, sorry. Uh, issues an opinion on the impact assessment of the commission, and the, of course the commission uh, could can overrule this opinion. Uh, and also, it's, it's a mixed bad, yeah, because there's uh, I don't remember the, the exact ratio, but uh, it's basically X number of commission officials and uh, Y number of externals uh, joining this uh, this uh, regulatory scrutiny board. So uh, it's true what uh, what Kirakida says. They haven't decided anything, but it's true also what the NGO says because <laughs> for the mere fact that they're proposing something, it means that there's at least the 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 well to you know the, yeah the, yeah I mean I always say that the for instance it's a bit neglected from for, you know this part the impact assessment part but actually I think that this the a uh, moment where uh, the real uh, will of the commission emerge, because after uh, it's going to be reversed many times by the European Parliament uh, uh, member states. So it's uh, it's always good to have an eye on this uh, initial stage of uh, of a proposal. Uh, but yes, I think it's uh, the truth is a bit in uh, in between, and they 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 kind of have, you know, they they're both right. Let's say. But last thing we we're gonna uh, talk about. Last but not least. Last but not least, it's it's a crucial part of the common agricultural policy, indeed. Um, we're talking about the eco scheme uh, mm-hmm. because there was uh, about that. Tash, introduce. Let the me talk. de-jargonize you. Introduce, introduce the talk. Okay? <laughs> I'm not gonna talk anymore. Well, okay. Well, what what are eco schemes, Gerardo? And then I'll talk about this report. It's interesting report. Go on, tell us all about them. No, I, 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 if I if I try if I start explaining eco scheme, I will be super 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 obscure. So <laughs> I can on. leave you. I can leave. No, eco scheme. It's basically. true. There's a lot to explain. Now. Go on. No, 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 but no, no, no. Do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us want to. Fine. Eco schemes are. Uh, a new instrument, basically, in this cap reform that are designed to reward farmers to that, that go the extra mile in terms of environmental care and climate action. So they're kind of the main way in which um, farmers are going to be rewarded for all these environmental practices and sustainability practices um, that the EU is pushing on. And uh, this is where it gets a bit into the background of things. But basically, um, you know, these eco schemes, there's an individually tailored list of these different eco schemes for each country right so each country has outlined its own sustainability the things that it wants to reward and encourage their farmers to do um and these eco schemes are set out in the uh i'm still getting so jargony here the national strategic plans so these national strategic i know it's terrible isn't it i I hate myself for it um but but is there is there anyone who actually assess this uh strategic plans like I'm going to assess your explanation after. after. <laughs> Is there anyone that's going to assess them? Yeah, well, the, these plans, basically, they are, uh, they're, they're part of this shift of responsibility where, you know, the, the responsibility is being shifted somewhat from the EU to member states. And basically, the plans are 
they outline how EU countries will, um, in, how they intend to meet the nine EU-wide objectives of this common agricultural policy reform. Um, and basically, the plans are due for submission to the Commission. Submission to the Commission sounds quite nice, actually. Submission to the Commission by the end of the year. Who's then going to evaluate these plans? Are they ambitious enough? Are they appropriate, et cetera, et cetera? There's going to be a little to and fro between member states and the commission as they try and find a good compromise on these plans. Now, for the moment, there's not that much information out there about what these nationals, even though we're literally in the last month of the year, which means that the plans are due at the end of this month. um, There's still not that much information basically about how EU countries are going to use eco schemes, this new policy instrument in the national strategic plans, right? We're still not really sure what it's going to look like, how the plans are going to be tied to environmental ambitions or how they're going to be, how the commission will encourage member states to be ambitious in this regard. Or oh, know, I, I, I have a question from um, a novice. Um, is <laughs> there on. a place where I can check the development oh. of the of the strategic <laughs> plans? Well, never fear, your activists here. We actually do have a tracker, a national no strategic way. plan. Yeah, we do. It's true. It's true. A national strategic plans tracker with each country where we're updating each country um, uh, where they're at in the process. So be sure to go and check that out. And um, I mean, I think the tracker is really going to come into itself, especially in the new year, right? I mean, after the submission of the plans, we're going to be looking at the plans in much more detail. We're going to be looking at what this means. We're going to have letters from the commission, blah, blah, blah. So definitely something to watch, uh, watch this space. But in the lead up to, why are we talking about UK schemes today? In the lead up to this submission at the end of the year, um, basically uh, some very prominent European NGOs. So that's the WWF Europe, as well as the Environmental European Environmental Bureau and also BirdLife Europe. They basically got together and uh, tried to in- do a first attempt at basically systematically cataloging and assessing um, all the eco schemes that are currently proposed in 21 member states uh, plans. what we know so far right so they kind of they looked at some of the drafts they got some of the information from national governments about what's going to be in the drafts they looked at all the information that they could gather for the moment um to evaluate the ambition of the ecoschemes as they stand so what did they find well uh they didn't have a very good uh Uh, let's say they weren't very impressed with what they found. Um, So they concluded basically that less than a fifth of eco schemes as they stand are likely to deliver on their stated environmental objectives. Um, And they basically said that, you know, um, as they stand, these proposals on eco schemes fall very short of expectations. So concretely, yeah, basically they found that 19% of eco schemes are deemed likely to deliver, as I said, and 40% will need significant improvements to be effective, while 41% are, in their words, completely misaligned. Um, There was also a a concern that they raised that basically even the well-designed schemes, so the ones that they liked, uh, the ones that are likely to deliver, they highlighted that these are either underfunded or very likely to be outcompeted by less demanding or more financially attractive schemes. So they were saying, you know, more money is being put on less ambitious schemes. And so that's likely that's to kind of sway it. That's an interesting point. Uh, because yeah. it's, uh, you know, we, we, sometimes we talk about competition uh, between member states in, uh, in uh, even for this harmonization of this um, implementation of, of CAP. 
of the cup but there's an internal internal <laughs> competition between yeah. eco schemes yeah? well yeah because it's, they're like a menu and the farmers uh, are going to choose from them so the so you know if i was a farmer and i'm looking at it maybe i'd be thinking huh but i get more money to do that one and it's easier you know so why would i go for the more difficult the higher a, hanging yeah. fruit is that a phrase should be a phrase i don't know yeah it should be yeah. No, that, that, that's the reason why, for instance, um, they proposed the menu, um, the menu approach at the at the past program, uh, cup program, but it didn't. Uh, um, it, didn't it wasn't approved. Yeah, in the end, because of this uh, problematic aspect of uh, mm. among, among other <laughs> problematic issues. It does raise an interesting, you know, I think it no, raises a really yeah, yeah, interesting absolutely. point because it's absolutely. not just whether the eco schemes are good. It's also then which ones are the farmers going to choose and how, yeah. why will they choose? How will they choose? Well, if there's the appropriate funding behind them, that's the main incentive, right? Particularly if you leave uh, free will uh, to the member states and yeah. uh, and you don't really assess them. I mean, no, you don't really assess them, but you don't have a lot of power to. Well, that's the thing. How much yeah. power you have to to you are, you I mean the commission of course yeah um, to convince them to change their their plans mm. well let's hear from we spoke with BirdLife's Honey Cohen um, so let's hear what more what she has to say on the report the assessment shows that many eco schemes propose to continue or even expand current greening practices I'm talking about the same greening practices that environmental experts have time and time again heavily criticized for being ineffective. There are many schemes that don't have any clear environmental benefit because they don't have any benchmarks or reduction targets, like with the scheme to reduce pesticides. Many of the well-designed schemes that are actually likely to deliver are either underfunded or likely to be outcompeted by less demanding or more financially attractive schemes. We've been promised a so-called green reform through the CAP strategic plans, but our analysis shows that as it stands, these eco-schemes will mostly lead us to more greenwashing, more destruction, and more problems. So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the Euractive Agri-Food podcast was produced by Euractive's Agri-Food news team. That's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote, with the technical support of our podcast producer, Evie Chiori. And you can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. So that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.